Welcome to Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. We've got a very special guest joining us today. I've been a fan of this guy's work for years and years and years. And he's recently returned to stand-up comedy. Justin Hamilton, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a very funny sentence to hear returning to stand-up because also it's like it's correct, but I kind of didn't deliberately step away. It was Mm -hmm. like one of those things where... uh, Coming out of the the last lockdown in Sydney, uh, I was lucky enough that uh, uh, during this last couple of years, I've managed to uh, transition into some TV producing behind the scenes. So uh, as an example, uh, I'm the talent producer on The Chase and I work with uh, the, the quiz show and I work with the chasers and, you know, keep them sharp and help write their lines, uh, you know, after Larry's interviewed the contestant. So I was doing that. And I was also working on question everything. So when uh, everything uh, opened up, I didn't go back to stand up to begin with because I knew there were comedians who needed that money. Yeah. And I was like, I've, I've been lucky enough that I've been earning and I've been working. So I thought I'll take some time off and 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 let, let people get back into the swing of things. And then I'll start booking myself. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, I was like, how good is it having Friday and Saturday nights to yourself? <laughs> like, like not going to gigs like this is quite nice actually catching up with people having dinners like going to a movie or just sitting at home in tracksuit pants it's like really great when you're then, you don't you don't realize that you want those friday and saturday nights to be busy but when you're actually working they're like fuck I, I wish i had my fridays and saturdays free it's so weird it's been so long as well that i actually had that on a regular basis and i got into quite a nice swing of things and then uh, beginning of last year so I had about seven months off from not doing any stand-up whatsoever and then uh, at the beginning of last year uh, the comedy store got wiped out by COVID mm. and they called me and said hey can you uh, we just need people and I thought it's good to keep your skills up so I went down and uh, after the weekend my manager called me and said how'd it go and I was like I went along, I said some things that went really well. I got a lot of laughs. I had a really good time. I enjoyed seeing the comedians again. I remembered how much I enjoy this and I'm so fucking angry. (laughs) I thought I was out, you know, and then it was like, I was Al Pacino in The Godfather Part 3. I was sucked back in. So so it kind of went from there. It was, I've missed you doing stand-up comedy because uh, my mum comes down to Melbourne for the comedy festival every year and right and we've always gone to see your shows in the past so we always right. make there's always certain comedians that we make sure that we see every year and you're you're one of them oh that's nice well thank you and thank you to your mum yeah as well i'm sure she's seen some of them and thought that was a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> well i saw you um at the comedy republic last november and yeah there was the there was some guys in the front row there <laughs> from memory who were just like so distracted, not interested at all on their phones. A bit, I don't know why they were there, but they, they were hammered. Sort of left sort of halfway through, and I thought you dealt with that quite well. Oh, thank you. You know what? It was uh, so that was my first show or gig in Melbourne in years, mm. and you come down, you're in a really good mood, and it was. Uh, it was the second time I'd performed uh, this uh, this new show, Little Victories. Mm. Uh, so it was pretty pretty formative as well. I was still kind of cooking in the oven. Mm. And I was in a really good mood and the, the audience was great. And I hadn't performed at Comedy Republic yet. You know, those guys, 
had been telling me about what they were going to do with it for ages and then they opened it and then COVID kicked in. So I just never got down to see it. Hmm. And uh, um, yeah, those three guys, well, the, 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 it, I, I clocked them immediately and they yeah. were hammered. And, and you know, you don't want to shit on anyone doing their jobs, but A, you just shouldn't have sold them tickets and B, you just shouldn't have let them sit in the front row because they were... It was funny because one was paying a lot of attention. Yeah, I saw. I, and, I caught that because I was sitting in the sort of center in the second row, and they were right side. And I sort of looked over every now and again. Like, oh, one's sort of like getting really into it. Yeah, it was like one was on his phone, and the other was just talking. Or, no, no, the other one was falling every five in. minutes, come back in. Yeah, yeah, one was falling in and out of asleep, uh, and then <laughs> and you, so so two things that came from that night. One is. Uh, I would never normally say this, but I don't know if you remember when they finally left and we let them go. And then yeah. I turned around and I saw the row behind yeah. and it was five stunning women, like yeah. stunning. I remember, was, that. I remember that quite well. Yeah. Yeah. And I would never do something like this normally, but <clears throat> I knew that they were distracting people and I knew that they were frustrating people. So when they got up and left, I remember turning around and saying, you know, <laughs> like, those guys were annoying, but if they were going to leave us with a reveal like that, look at these women <laughs> and just gave them a round of applause. And then I, I remember the girls all kind of looked at each other and they were like, yeah, we are hot. And everyone was like, yeah. And everyone just kind of clapped. So that was a funny moment. But yeah. I found out afterwards that the first guy who left, because one left and then the other two followed, he, he went downstairs and took off all his clothes and fell asleep in the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just in case if you were wondering how distracting they were that's the kind of distracting they were so did, did that make you uh wish that you had not moved to sydney and you had stayed in melbourne <laughs> yes it did it did i could have been good friends with those guys and hang out on a regular basis giving them um giving them tickets to more shows <laughs> uh yeah no it was look I, I reckon once upon a time i would have been really annoyed by what was going on but mm. i was in such a good mood and i Coming back to the stand-up has really refreshed me, uh, probably uh, emotionally and and, uh, and and the approach to it as well. It's 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 changed yet again. So I was in a pretty good mood. I was more I was more frustrated for people who have paid money. You know, it's like it's just like I was fine, but I I had to make sure that everyone knew I was fine so they could focus on me and not these distractions. But once they left, it was like okay, well. You know, we still get another 30, 35 minutes to, you know, forget about those guys. Yeah. It, when you um when you're delivering your material, you've got a very uh rapid pace delivery. Right. Is, is yeah. that a, is that very deliberate or is that just part of who you are anyway? Because I listen to a lot of your podcasts and you do have that sort of rapid, quick wit, uh fast way of talking. Right. Yeah. Uh, look, I uh I, I think I'm a quick talker anyway. Yeah. I think that's uh, a part of the DNA. But I reckon probably, I, I reckon it probably comes down to my first, like two of my biggest influences in stand-up. So my introduction to stand-up was Robin Williams live at the Met on a vinyl record. And uh, it was great. Halfway through a routine, you'd have to turn it over to get the other half of the routine. But mm. I but I, I had never uh, experienced stand-up before. So uh, you know, of course, I love Robert Williams from Mork and Mindy and, you know, all his movies. Uh, but once I kind of listened to that, I was like, oh, man, like you can stand on stage and talk to people and entertain them. Like it was just this yeah. mind blowing idea. 
So I think, uh, and you know, when you're a kid, you know, you memorize routines, don't you? And, mm -hmm. and you perform them for your friends. And so I used to be able to do uh, bits and pieces of Robin Williams from that and his other vinyl album, uh, The Throbbing Python of Love, uh, which <laughs> is the name of one of them. And that was the one where he used to do an impersonation of Elmer Fudd singing Bruce Springsteen and singing <laughs> the song Fire. And he can't pronounce the R, so it's all like, I'm on fire. Anyway, I used to be able to do those impersonations. So I think uh, so. I think some of the DNA also comes from that. But also, uh, once I started performing, one of the first uh, comedians I saw live and started looking at things from a slightly different angle uh, was Ben Elton. And mm. Ben Elton's quite rapid paced as well. Uh, so I so I think there's those influences. I'm a naturally quick talker. Also, hard to heckle because I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like if you're gonna hang shit like on me, I'm already going on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a proper rhythm. But what that does is it makes it hard for people to jump in because you're three sentences further on when they're about to comment on something. But also, if someone does yell out people are in the rhythm of what you're saying so you can just kind of keep talking mm. and people look at like I'm, I'm a big believer in just use the microphone and the speakers to your advantage because someone looks insane if they're in the audience just gesticulating talking and you're ignoring them and continuing to do what you do yeah sometimes i think that's the best way to deal with someone who's being annoying well it just becomes embarrassing for them yeah make them look insane <laughs> yeah. you know do you know the heckling at all no, I, I don't mind conversation. Like, I, I think there's a real, I think there's a real difference, you know. I, like, would, uh, I would want to start a conversation if they can't heckle. So you, you can tell by what people say, you know, oh, it's like, um, you know, you might say something and, and then someone will comment. Uh, I don't know, you could, um, I don't know, you could just be talking about fears and you could just, you could just be setting up a premise. So you could say, you know, you know, some people have fears. Some people have fears of spiders. Some fear, have fears of heights. Some people have fears of roller coasters. And then someone could flinch, and you look at them, and you go, "You you flinched at that? What was that?" And then they might say, "Oh yeah, I was on a I was on a ride oh, once." Yeah. And so do you know what I mean? So then it ends up becoming a conversation, and you kind of build off it. Uh, make, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind someone doing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, because it's quite nice, you know. But when someone just, you know decides to be a smart ass like oh but also i've had some people yell some stuff out that's pretty funny <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's funny to sit there and just go the good work do you know what i mean and then do you yeah. remember any of those hecklers what did they say uh <clears throat> pardon me um i'm not funnily enough the um funnily enough the first thought that comes to mind is not actually a heckle but i invited this it kind of builds off what i was using as the example of the roller coaster where i did uh, in a show back in 2004 i used to talk about fears and mm. someone said they had a fear of rides and mm. i said oh that's a really fascinating mm. fear mm. and uh she said yeah i was on one of those hurly gurly gurdy rides and it flung off her and a friend and it just spun off <laughs> and I, so I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And yeah, we spun off and it rolled. And yeah. I was lucky. I just had, you know, a couple of bruises. And I was like, wow. And, I, and then I just automatically said, and how was your friend? And in my head, time slowed down and went, Ooh. and I was just waiting for her to say, 
she's dead and it's like seven minutes <laughs> into an hour-long show and you're going to have to go well the show's over thank you very much uh come with me to the atm i'm going to withdraw all your money and i'm going to give it to you i can't believe i asked that i can't believe i put myself in this situation and then the girl said no nah, she's fine and then my everything sped up it's like and i was back and had this weird energy for the rest of the show because i realized i dodged a bullet <laughs> oh yeah uh, that's good now, now that you've um sort of you know, dipped your toe back into stand-up comedy. Do you foresee yourself doing it on a more regular basis? Or are you happy working behind the scenes on television shows? Uh, I'm definitely doing more of it. Like uh, I found a new equilibrium with it. I found a new uh, kind of uh, way to enjoy it. Because after a while, it, it um, I think you have to be really careful. I, I used to notice this with uh, comedians my age when I was younger. And that it's, I think if you perform, I'm not saying this is for everyone, but what I kind of uh, observed was if you perform too much and too often, you can become a comedian that never really fails, but never really says anything interesting. Cause it's like, it's mm -hmm. like you can get into a rhythm and you can just kind of perform in any situation, but you're not really there. Like you're mm -hmm. not really engaged. And I, I never wanted to get to that stage. So doing less of it, like I did, having time away from it helped me recalibrate and then getting back into it. I just found new ways into things. I think the uh, stand-up show I did this year and uh, I was really lucky. It was my first performance in Melbourne in uh, at the Comedy Festival in since 2019. And I had such a great audience. Like that, that audience, uh, it was just a one-off and the audience was fantastic at the Lower Town Hall. And they were really into it. And just before the gig started, I realized both my legs weren't jigging because normally you get the jiggy legs before mm. you go on stage. And I was like two minutes before thinking, wow, my body's not vibrating at all. Like this is really fascinating. And I went out and I was really present for the whole hour. I was just enjoying that gig so much. And uh, like, you know, who knows if you're better or worse or whatever, but I definitely feel uh polished in a different kind of way it's a little bit looser it's a little bit more relaxed um and uh, all the th the other thing that i've kind of realized is a lot of the writing that i really enjoy like the different styles of writing and the different genres and that i used to try and apply them into the stand-up world and that's why that's why that's why i asked about your mum. like one year she might turn up and i'm doing stand-up and then the next year i'm doing some fucking insane thing like you know the ballad of john tilde animus with a surreal <laughs> three-part yeah. series that was designed to be interpreted and some people interpreted <laughs> it as fuck i just want you to do stand-up but um <laughs> uh i'm putting that into other areas so like i'm putting that writing into short stories i've been working on screenplays i've been working on different things so i i feel like i'm creatively getting the mm. the mix right there's a good balance happening there yeah yeah, yeah. so stand-up feels like putting on a nice jacket. So oh, this is nice. This is great. You know, it's a bit more relaxed and uh, and uh, trying to get other projects up and running. Mm. Yeah, that's um, I you talk about your mum as well quite a lot in oh, you know, you have talked about your mum quite a lot, mm. and she means quite a lot to you. Like you still like it. It's not often that you hear about people that sort of still you know, socially sort of get together with their mum. 
you know oh right yeah it, it, but you, you talk about that a lot you have quite a lot of reverence for for her and it's sort of a rare thing to sort of hear hear men talk talk about i think oh okay that's interesting yeah, yeah. i've never had that said to me before i, I think that was really <laughs> well no <laughs> no because you were raised by by a single mum yeah well so it, does that inform you as a person and as a as a comedian being sort of brought up in a single parent household? Absolutely. You know, like, I, of course, it goes without saying, I've always loved mum, but it's like as I get older, like, like I, I now have the life experience of, of a, you know, of a grown-up, and then I apply it to her. So, like, mum had me when she was 19 mm. in, in the 70s, you know, and that was... Like she copped a lot, do you know what I mean? Like she was, uh, she was a tough woman at nineteen, having me, and uh, you know people, you know people in the neighbor. This is back in the day when you know neighborhood gossip was currency, right? So they, you know, there were lots of things said about her, and she never wavered. And uh, you know, uh, without a doubt, my love of comedy comes from her. Mm. You know, it's like I think one of my earliest joys was being able to make my mum laugh. You know. And uh, and I think that just kind of um, spilled over into primary school as well. Like I, I got a lot of joy out of making my friends laugh. It, it made me feel good. So, but mum introduced me to all sorts of uh, comedies and, you know, like I, she was always quite good at, when, when I hit a spot in my life, introducing something new that took me to the next level. Mm. So musically, it was like, you know, I was five years old, I got into Kiss. That, why wouldn't you? They look like superheroes, right? <laughs> so, so I was like into Kiss from five to about ten, and then I do. I kind of, you know, I like music, but I was kind of all over the place. And then at eleven, Mum said, "Oh, I think you'd really like David Bowie. Do you want to go and see him?" And I saw Bowie at eleven, and then that that kind of changed everything. And then, uh, you know, with with comedy, it's like you know, I liked. Uh, I was brought up on the goodies. Uh, and I was brought up on, uh, you know, MASH as well. And then I was also brought up on uh, the Kenny Everett show. You know, that was a very, you know, progressive kind of uh, comedy night. So there was all those kinds of things. And then and then when I kind of hit my teenage years, she kind of tried to introduce me to Woody Allen and, you know, his movies, and I didn't quite get them. And then I think around the age of 13, I, I saw Play It Again, Sam. Mum was watching it and, and I, I started laughing and she was like, I was doing homework. And she said, oh, do you think that's funny? And I was like, yeah. She said, oh, well, put your homework away and watch the rest of it. And then I, you know, back in the day when you could say it, I became a Woody Allen fan. It was kind of the perfect time to be a Woody Allen fan as well because it was, you know, played against Sam to Husbands and Wives is an impeccable movie run for, for an auteur. And it was also before we learned terrible things. So, you know, I, I, had a, I had a good time that I could enjoy him. So uh, she was always uh, extremely uh, across when I probably needed a like an, an upgrade in what I was enjoying. The other thing was um, the TV show, The Singing Detective. My mum got me to watch that as a kid, which was uh, a Dennis Potter series about a writer who uh, suffers from psoriasis and he's in a hospital and he's he can't move and he's he's in a lot of pain and he starts uh, rewriting his novel, The Singing Detective, but he's also in so much pain, he's hallucinating and his past and his fictional life 
are all melding into his present and it's quite surreal and it has people bursting into mime songs and you, you can never you get lost in hang on is this a memory or is he in the story or why is that person from his past in this fictional novel and now they're in the room and as a kid I was just watching that going what the fuck is happening like it was mind-blowing you know and the, you know when you, you you watch something as a kid or even now and it, it kind of fills your chest because you it's it's so captivating and, and it's taking places that you've never been before and uh, I think there's something absolutely exhilarating about that so she was extremely good at knowing the right times to say I reckon you should check this out yeah I I, I completely um relate to that and gravitate towards that that's why I bring it up because um because you do or you do uh, mention your mum quite a lot and it's sort of not considered cool to hang out with your mum because right because my mum introduced me to comedy and yeah. musical theatre. So yeah. we go out to the Melbourne Comedy Festival every year and see comedy. And, you know, people wouldn't necessarily look at that as a cool thing to do to go out and hang out with your with your mum. But um, but that's something that I sort of quite admire about you, that you're not afraid to sort of shy away from that and actually say, hey, yeah, mum's cool. Yeah, mum, yeah, yeah. You know, all, these, all these things. Yeah, mums are great. They're fucking, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're incredible people. And uh, as I said, I just, uh, my admiration for her grows as I, as I get older. Because, you know, like I'm like I'm 50 now. When she was 50, she You're had a 50. fucking, yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, <laughs> halfway through. Halfway through, <laughs> fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, when, when mum was 50, she had a 31-year-old son. Like, that does my head in, you know, yeah. like. But I, but I think about her when she was, you know, when she was 40, you know, she had someone who was 21, you know? And uh, so, yeah, she's uh, like, who, realistically, who gives a shit what people think? Like, yeah. I, I'd rather, I'd rather hang out with mum and, you know, have a good time. Like I just, it was just her 70th birthday and I just came back from Adelaide and uh, um, it's funny, you know, she, we were going to watch movies. And I said, the problem is, is that there's more things that you hate than I love. And I love heaps of things. So why don't we just choose what you want? Mm. And uh, she decided that she wanted me to watch the Stan series, The Great, which I hadn't gotten around to. And uh, two seasons in, I'm like, yeah, mum was right. That was fantastic. So she's still uh, <laughs> introducing me to things and uh, getting me to check things out that she's, yeah. you know, invariably on the money with. So... Oh yeah, and my mum also introduced me to um Star Trek too. And that's yeah. like crazy like crazy. Like that's sort of my interest for Star Trek has sort of led me down a rabbit hole to also enjoying like genre as yes. as well. And um I sort of learned a lot from just listening to the writers who wrote for Star Trek and it made me want to, you know, be a writer as well. So it sort of led yeah. me down all these different paths and it was because of mum. Yeah. You know, there's obviously been times, and it happens in everyone's career, where you, you know, you have doubt, and you, you're not sure mm. what you're going to do. And uh, anytime I've had doubt, <laughs> Mum's been really good at, you know, most. I think most parents would be like, "Ah, oh, well, you know, maybe it's time to get a real job." And Mum's a little bit like, "Oh, well, you've done it this long. Why not just keep going?" And it's like, "Oh, yeah, okay. Well, why don't I just do that?" So that that's another thing that I feel very lucky about because I started off in a duo in in the nineties, 
and um, uh, my my partner that I perform with, who, who's a fantastic guy, uh, I, I don't think he ever had the support that I had. So when it, after five years, when you know, it like it was going fine, but it wasn't, you know, quite clearly it was, you know, your career is a long term uh, bet on yourself. Uh, mm. You know, after five years, he was he was out, and, and I I've always wondered, you know, what, what would have happened if my yeah. mum hadn't been so supportive or if his his side of the family had been more supportive you know it just takes one one support person to sort of get you through yeah and yeah yeah it only takes one person yeah yeah you, you need you need the uh you need the support of a person who hears what you're saying yeah. and sees what's going on and uh still suggests that you should keep at it Mm. was there ever a point when you were in the early days when you were going through um stand-up comedy that you wanted to give up or you know throw it all out and oh yeah 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 definitely you know there's definitely been times when i've tried to walk away a couple of times it, it amuses my friends so well, much drag you back in i've heard you yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah I, I i caught up with um peter hellier earlier this year we hadn't seen each other in years uh, like properly we went out for dinner we had such a nice time and uh he was he was very hilariously dismissive of me oh yeah 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 you keep saying that you're leaving but you're not gonna leave us uh, will says that to me yeah you're not going anywhere mate but um but i think it's a uh it, it's two things one is there's just different types of storytelling that i like and mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like I really like uh, ambiguous storytelling, which is a, a very difficult thing to pull off in stand-up because stand-up is definitive. You know, it's set up and punchline. It can't be set up and what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. So that it, it's it's the desire to tell different types of stories. And then also, and this goes for every business, after a while, even if you do your best to stay out of it, you get mired in the politics of the behind the scenes. Mm. And it, it's really debilitating. And then that was part of the recalibration of coming back to stand-up was being out of it. I was out of the politics and it was great. I Because my friends would talk about it and I'd be sitting there thinking, I don't know who they're talking about. This is amazing. You know, <laughs> this is just the best feeling. I have no opinions. This is great. So coming back into stand-up, you know, like I make the joke about being pulled back in, but what it reminded me was I, I, I love the craft, the craft of creating a routine. Like the, I, I did that first lot of gigs at the store. The next lot of gigs I did was also at the store and I was hosting and it was the week that Will Smith cracked nine kinds of Sunday out of Chris Rock. And so I saw, I watched that happen at the Oscars. And then the next night I was at the comedy store and so I was, so I talked about it and then I wanted to talk about it the next night. And then I had to make sure I had to check in because remember early on, it's like, is Will Smith going to neck himself? Like, is he going, is like, what's going to happen here? And you didn't want to, you didn't want to go on stage and say, Hey, what about Will Smith and Chris Rock? And someone yells out, he shot himself today. And you go, fuck. All right. Well, this is going to be a tough gig. Cause don't quite know where to go after opening like that. <laughs> so I was checking in on it every day, but every yeah. time I checked in, there was new information so over the course of the week, I built up like a little four-minute routine into a 12-minute routine by adding new information. Like 
like I was like 15 minutes before I went on stage at the uh, store on the Thursday night, I looked online and there was OJ Simpson filming himself with a message saying, you know, violence is never the answer. And you look at that and you go, that's going on stage, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was, it was the building of the routine and putting it together uh, and turning it into, you know, this muscular polished uh, yeah. set of jokes. That, that was the thing that was really addictive. Do you think most comedians would not even take that time to build up a routine and just go out and make a joke straight away? Um, you know, I think I think I think the really good comedians do. Like, I think they uh, whatever their process is, you know, they think their way through it. And then there's people who just walk on stage and say something along the lines of, "What up with Will Smith and Chris Rock?" And you go, "Cool." <laughs> <laughs> Good what effort. Did you, what did you think of Chris Rock's uh, set on Will Smith? Ah, I don't know. I was like, we waited a year for you and your writers to come up with seven minutes of what kind of felt like a healthy dose of misogyny. Like, it, it, I just didn't like it, it. The thing is, is that there's so much to unpack about it, and I, I'm not even talking about uh, like not from my perspective, but you know. There is, uh, like, I'm an NBA fan, right? And I've been an NBA fan since the 80s. And, uh, you know, over the years, I've seen the idea of African-American masculinity uh, evolve and change from the 80s through the 90s. Now, uh, you know, there's always been uh, this discourse about, uh, you know, African-American men being portrayed as not being there for their kids, even though that had been a, a, a thing that they had to deal with for a, a long time. And now you get people like, you know, Dwayne Wade, who's, who goes out proudly with his uh, transgendered child. And, you know, you've got LeBron James, who is always with his kids. And and you, we, we even saw recently in the uh, stuff from Maureen O'Ryan's book about um, Lost and how Harold uh, Penu didn't want to play that kind of character on Lost. So, you know, you, you, so I have all of this stuff in my head, not because I'm super smart or anything. It's just what I've witnessed over the years in these different formats. And so I was really excited if he was going to take a year. I thought he might unpack violence, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the awful masculinity of uh, or toxic masculinity of, you know, feeling like you have to step up and be a big man and, you know, to protect your wife and and also you know, be self-effacing. That was a shit joke. Like G.I. Jane, like who the fuck gives a shit about G.I. Jane? Like if he, if he, if Will Smith had gotten up and, you know, after he'd won his Oscar, hadn't slapped him and gotten up and said, and I'd just like to say to Chris Rock, uh, G.I. Jane, uh, nice reference that three people probably got. You know what my wife looks like? A Wakandan princess. Everyone would have gone fucking Will Smith nailing it not only is that a better reference but he's just pointed out that chris rock had a shit joke that he would have been he would have been the king of the world if he'd done it that way but instead he reduced himself to you know a dumbass slap that was performative for everybody as yeah look at me being the big man so anyway i was really looking forward to him unpacking all of that stuff and what he learned about himself you know and then you sit there for ages and then you get to the last seven minutes and you go, great. Anyway, <laughs> he's doing tours of stadiums. So who am I to criticize? But personally, <laughs> I just found it to be pretty underwhelming. You've got a year. The great thing about stand-up is, like I said, 
you can i was talking about it the next day yeah you know like a stand-up's yeah. immediate you don't have to get a production company you don't have to but yeah. instead it was so calculated to drop it on this netflix special and it's like well what have you mean and you know not talking it about it like, a year a year for seven minutes? That's what I said in Melbourne. Like, Will Anderson nearly got arrested flying to Wagga Wagga, and he banged on about that for 90. <laughs> this actually happened. Like, you you got to have more than seven minutes. Speaking of which, actually, that's a... What was going through your mind when you saw that news about Will Anderson, uh, that Will Anderson incident on the plane? Oh, I remember it well. I was actually out at dinner, and my phone... This was back, uh, this shows you how long ago it was. I had, I still had social media on my phone. Like I still had Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I felt a vibration on the leg from the phone. And then, you know, I'm, I'm out with friends. I'm one of those people that often with people, I'll just ignore it. I'd rather be present. But suddenly I felt like my leg was about to vibrate through to the next level. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I was I'm sorry, I'm going to have to check this out. And the first message I read was from... Uh, from a mutual friend saying, oh my God, Will Anderson. <laughs> so I'll be honest. I was like, oh shit, what's, like I, I thought really bad stuff had happened, you know? Mm. And then, um, so my first reaction was when I found out that he'd nearly been arrested, I was relieved. <laughs> I'd, go, I'd gone somewhere much darker. <laughs> As I nearly got arrested. Oh, he'll be right. It'll be fine. Like I know it was traumatic for him, but um where I'd gone was, you know, beyond trauma. So, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it was a, you know, there was a couple of minutes there where, you know, you're trying to work out. Like I always click on my friends' names on Twitter just to make sure they're not dead. And you <laughs> click on it and you go, oh, Hughes, he's just upsetting people again. That's great. All right, that's good. And the one time it's worked against me is when I clicked on Peter Hellier's name. And remember that, that, that remember. Oh uh, yeah, when people year? thought he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> Some real estate agent who died or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, poor guy. Not, not only did I get panicked about Pete, I then felt bad that I was relieved that it wasn't my Pete. I was like, that, that guy doesn't I'll deserve it. say that this. so flippantly, like, oh, yeah, just some real estate agent. At least it's not a comedian. Right, yeah. Well, in, you know what? I, I reckon uh, this is the perfect climate to make that comment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> With rental yeah. prices going through the roof. So, uh, but yeah, that was my, yeah, it was a very vivid reaction of, Fewer mm. panic and then absolute relief that he would just let off in handcuffs. <laughs> there's there's so much um, content out there of you on other people's podcasts and just like seeing from a distance, uh, you talk about your friends in, in stand-up comedy and it's actually sort of this whole network of, um, of friendships, which I really, again, another thing that I sort of um, admire you about uh, admire about you is how close you are with all these friendship groups oh, how right. does friendship mean to you well what does friendship mean to you um you know it's uh yeah i've been pretty lucky like you know i, I guess one of my closest friends in the in the scene is limo mm. he started like seven months before me in in adelaide and uh you know uh that that Adelaide uh, room, which was uh, at Bolt's Cafe, had a had a hundred people every week, and it was a, pretty much a return audience. It was consistently sold out, and uh, it was it, what was great about it was um, because it was a return audience. You had to write new material every week, 
So my partner and I had to come up with a new song and a new routine every week. And we'd be doing seven to 10 minutes and we didn't know any better. We were just, oh, that's what you do. So mm-hmm. uh, we were. All, it was a very creative environment. So we were all doing that. And audiences were, uh, they were more forgiving if they saw you do new that didn't work because they knew you were doing new stuff all the time. Mm. Whereas, uh, you know, like you could do a little bit of old here and there, but if you were consistently doing old, they'd get bored. But if you kept doing new and, uh, you know, kept trying things, if something didn't work, they didn't hold it against you. They were like, oh, that's all right. Didn't quite land this week. We'll see what they do next week. And then you do well that week and, you know, so uh, so Limo and I kind of bonded quite well. Then he went and lived in the UK for a while. And when he came back to Adelaide, uh, he was a bit of a lifeline for me because the scene had kind of uh, was beginning to fall apart and, you know, scenes rise and fall. It's just natural. And uh, I wanted to I wanted to move to uh, Melbourne, but my uh, we, we'd hit that point where we couldn't get any better. Like we'd, we'd done as well as we could. Uh, and Adelaide was great to start because we had stage time all the time. And then it was time to move. And then my partner didn't want to move. And then we kind of missed our window. Uh, so, you know, Limo and I have been through a bit together, you know. And uh, uh, like like we probably talk, in all honesty, we probably talk half a dozen times a month, you know. Maybe sometimes more, sometimes a little bit less. But it's pretty consistent that we'll just ring each other and check in and see how the other one's going. And like this morning, I was on the phone to Adam Richard uh and you know adam and i talk all the time so i've i've been lucky to uh make really good friends who are you know all interesting and come at things from different angles and uh really creative uh, it's uh it, yeah i feel I, I feel pretty lucky in that regard well I, I bring it up because i mean just hearing you and adam richard talk for instance it's it's nothing um artificial or you know fake about it it's just it's so nice to sort of hear that sort of you know friend friendship getting sort of um broadcasts when you're talking about nerdy shit <laughs> oh yeah yeah he, 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 like i think we genuinely still make each other laugh yeah and uh and you know he um like he, he's very good at hanging shit on me about you know because of my very specific parts of my personality and uh when he does it's i really enjoy it because because they're the kind of things that you wouldn't make fun of if you kind of weren't endeared to them as well i think that's the you know it's the same with will like i just i just love you know anytime he talks about movies dismissing him as someone who hasn't gone to the cinema in four years and you know you, you can't kind of do that uh that that kind of old school hanging shit on each other if you um you know haven't been through some stuff together and, and kind of enjoy stuff as well. Same with Tom Gleason. Like uh, I can't tell you how wrapped I am with all of Gleason's success because, yeah. you know, there's, he, we, we've gotten along from the moment we met. He has not changed as a person. He's such a lovely, gentle, uh, funny guy. And, and watching him build this persona over the years, like mm. I remember him very vividly when, you know, his, his career had gone into a bit of a lull and he really took control of his career and decided he was going to do things differently. I remember him very explicitly saying to me, you know, all these comedians are self-deprecating and playing, you know, lower status. Yeah. I'm going to play higher status. Like that was a decision he made. Yeah. And uh, 
I remember him quite drunk once. Like, this was at the Adelaide Fringe. We were doing the late show and he'd started wearing a suit and he called me over and he said, do you want to know why I wear a suit? And I said, yeah. He said, because I want to look like the enemy. I was like, great, you know. <laughs> so he, he was bringing the enemy in and then hanging shit on them kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a real joy to sit there and know someone and know what they've been doing and how hard they've worked at it and then see it be so successful <laughs> to the extent that he, like, I thought the Logies thing was one of the funniest things that's happened in this oh, country in years. And people were legitimately pissed off with him. It was great, but it was, but it was, it was, it wasn't punters. I've not met one punter who was no. upset about it. No. Punters fucking got it, but the industry, yeah. which takes itself so fucking seriously, yeah. couldn't cope. Yeah. It, did you, uh, do you remember Leeson on uh, the, uh, that big brother panel? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Far out. Basically, he was hired just to hang shit on the show. Yeah. And how shit the show was. It was yeah. great. Yeah. And we need more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was him getting back to that old Aussie larrikinism, you know, it's, uh, it's, which has always been hang shit on the people that you love. Mm. But people don't, you know, people are more defensive these days. So they kind of just hear the shit and think that he's being cruel. But it's, but it's not. And also the secret source to Gleason is that um, he can, he can take it as well. Yeah. So, you know, like I saw him at the Enmore Theatre and he, you know, it was a packed show and he was getting people to guess which parts of the show were real and which parts were bullshit. And someone yelled out, um, they thought it was bullshit that he was fine with being bald and the audience erupted. And and he, like, he found it so funny. He was just laughing while the audience was laughing. And then when the laughter stopped, he pointed out, look how confident I am without hair. Imagine if I had hair, I'd be a fucking animal. And the audience erupted it again so he you know he just played with it like he took he took the joke and then turned it into something more so i think that's the i think that's the secret source to tom mm. um moving on to movies mm. excited are you for Oppenheimer? mate on a scale of <laughs> Harmon, uh, Harmon has talked about it at length <laughs> oh great are you pumped for it <laughs> i am actually i am and it's uh it's gonna be one of those movies I like when people go old school and people don't give a fuck how big or small the movies or um, how people don't want, how people ignore the should would. This is how it should be. And now yeah. that movie is going to be very massive. It's going to be a very long movie. Yeah. I'm excited about it. It's I can't I can't comprehend anything better that's, that's going to come in a, in a very long time. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't care how long a movie goes as long as it's good. Like I've seen 90 minute movies that I thought, fuck, is this still going? And I've, <laughs> and I've seen three hour movies and go, was that three hours? Holy shit. Like it's not, it's not the length of the movie. It's how entertaining it is. Uh, Harman, how uh, uh, much across the Oppenheimer story are you? I'm, I'm, uh, I was talking to this uh, physicist, I'm oh, sorry, uh, astrophysicist we had on um, and we were just talking about the movie. Well, we were talking about how it, was invented but i'm not, i'm not through and through with the story and how that movie is going to look but i'm a massive fan i'm a fan of uh cinematography uh instead of what i was looking at it in that yeah oh yeah not yeah the story, not the story actually well uh so you, you know uh that you know the articles are starting to come out and i try i just kind of skim them i don't i try not to read too much 
uh, but uh, you know, all, all the effects are practical. There's no, there's, I think there's minimal CGI, which just always ages better, doesn't it? Like so much CGI, you look at and you go, oh shit, that. Why are those people rubber, you know, or stuff like that? So, you know, they've done explosions within the 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 camera, and it looks, it, you know, so it will look spectacular from that point of view. But uh, I've read the biography on Oppenheimer that this uh, movie is based, and uh, it, it was hard to get. It was really thick. It was a really thick book with tiny writing, and I was like, fuck. <laughs> oh man this is too much effort do you know who I mean it's like i know the, i know the broad strokes of this story i don't know if i can really come into this yet. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm i'm racist towards fonts like if it's too small <laughs> i just get really angry or uh heightest i'm hydrous or something but anyway um the the i read the book and it is thrilling like it's really it's a it's a very strange thing to say but the the book is a page turner, and this this build up of this situation where uh, you know that happened in real life, where this man has to with a t put together a team to create the bomb before the Nazis get it, yep. and that race against time, and then there's all these things that come out of it, and uh, they didn't knew basically they didn't knew what it was that they didn't know what it was if they're going to invent a black hole and just swallow the whole earth or what was going to happen, they had no idea what was going to happen. Well, like there was a genuine concern that they might set fire to the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like yeah. just think about that as a sentence, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, it's, ah. it's deep. Yeah, yeah. No. So, so there's not only that part of it, but, uh, he was uh, Oppenheimer. Was uh, sorry. Do you mind me talking about this, Harmon? Like Please, I know you're waiting here. Go for it. Please. So yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it, it, I, I won't like. I won't go into the minutiae of it, but uh, just on a um, uh, on a broad stroke, uh, he was very much in favour of once they developed the technology and and the war was over, uh, sharing that technology with the world, share it with the Brits, share it with the Russians, share it with everybody, so you don't create an arms race. And of course, the American military were totally against this idea. And then they went out of their way. Uh, it wasn't McCarthy, but around that era that they the army went after him to take him down. So it's a it's a it's a really fascinating story. And I think it's going to be like I'll be curious to see how it goes at the cinema because it's R-rated, it's three hours. And it's called Oppenheimer. And I'm not sure this is like, there's a distinct possibility this might not do well at the cinema, but I also have a feeling this might, I think he's gearing up for this film. I think it's possibly going to be his best yet because it is going to be, for those who see it, a really thrilling ride. For the fans who are, who love cinema and cinematography, I think that's going to be a very big one. Absolutely. Right. I, like, I can't wait like i'm a wes anderson fan as well and so sort of like i get oppenheimer and i get to see that 197 times at the cinema and then just as i shake that off it's going to be wes anderson's asteroid city i'm like yes good timing <laughs> and there are so many names in that uh yeah. that one <laughs> yeah it looks so so fun as well yeah yeah i really love wes anderson and it's getting uh, uh i understand that he's an acquired taste but it's uh getting reviews that are uh, saying it's his best since the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is my favourite of his films. So uh, I'm pumped. And also it's a, a subject that I enjoy as well. So that's even better. So what what film and TV are you consuming right now? 
Well, uh, I uh, grabbed a little list for you. And um, uh, so the great, which you know, because mum put me onto it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I really enjoyed Mrs. Davis, which was the uh, series about an AI that has eradicated war and pestilence and all, all these terrible things in the world and a nun decides to take them down you know that's funny because i i listened to you recently on will anderson's show and you yeah. were talking about it and because you talked with it with such uh, great detail and how much you loved it i added it to my to watch Ooh. list because oh, of the great. conversation yeah i think you'll have a really good time with it yeah. it's fantastic uh and what else um the uh beef i really enjoyed beef that's pretty stressful but uh that was very good and also uh barry season four i thought ended perfectly and i, I think it ended in a way some people were a little bit disappointed in it but it's on, yeah it's on yeah. netflix barry's on hbo yeah yeah and barry kind of was um i think it was undercutting what storytelling mm. can do so uh i, I thought it was a pitch perfect ending that yeah um so the and oh and it, look if anyone likes nba basketball there's a great uh, two-part documentary on netflix called bill russell the legend and bill russell played for the boston celtics in the late 50s and all through the 60s and he was mixed up in the civil rights movement so if anyone wants to uh, look back at, at uh basketball and that era of politics in america that's really fascinating I love this. Uh, Someone's making a list as as you're going. Oh yeah, great. <laughs> um, movie wise, uh, so the I guess the movies that I've loved the most this year, I finally saw Barbarian. Loved that. I thought that was uh, as far as uh, I'm not really a big horror guy, but I found that really entertaining. Uh, I look, I'm in the minority when I say this, but my friend and I went and saw Babylon and thought it was fantastic. And I, I know it's a bit long, but I, it's, it bamboozles me the way people turn on this film because I thought it was pretty great. Uh, I also was a big fan of Tar. I thought, like, it's good that Michelle Yeoh won the Oscar. Like, I think it's great that she won the Oscar. It's Kate Blanchett's Oscar. Mm. Like, Tar is a fucking masterpiece, and it is. It's like watching a Stanley Kubrick film. It's It's weird. It's it's funny it's sad you know it's 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 great and i reckon you watch it and you have you know you could sit with a friend and you'd say how funny was that scene and they'd say that was monstrous and you go oh shit okay all right we see things differently uh and i also really loved after sun uh i saw that a couple of times i found that quite uh quite beautiful and uh and quite moving uh and if anyone wants to see some uh Oh, and X, which was the and, and Pearl. I saw those two films, and I really loved them as well. They are uh, they're once again horror films, but very much in a different kind of uh, way. And uh, for on my podcast, we do exploitation films, and uh, our next one. So this is an old film, but a uh, a film we just watched was Razorback. Do you remember Razorback? No, I've never heard of it, mate. It's from the eighties. Australian film. Yeah. Russell Mulcahy, who directed a lot of Duran Duran film clips and directed Highlander. And it's about a fucking wild pig killing people in Australia. That's what it's about. 
and it's great. <laughs> um, and I've got a couple of books for you. Yeah, you go like. for it. yeah. Uh, so I read uh, uh, Reza Aslan's uh, book, Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth, where it tries to uh, talk about the historical Jesus versus the Jesus that's talked about in the Gospels and how the stories evolved and where they came from. And that's a fascinating read. And then uh, Heat 2. So it's a sequel to the movie Heat with <laughs> Michael Mann and Meg Gardner. And it is a scorcher if you're a fan of heat really it's, yeah it's a little bit like it's a little bit like the godfather part two in that it's a prequel and a sequel i made a book yeah and it's great <laughs> like if you're a fan of the movie yeah fucking rip yeah. into it you'll be wrapped and when when uh I, I think um like you can hear pacino like you can hear de niro in in the way it's written so uh good on them for still having children uh, well into geriatric age by the way it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ um, and then uh, another book that I thought uh, if, if people uh, Harmon you might be into this uh, if you're into Oppenheimer there's a book by Frank Walker called Marilinga and it's about all the nuclear tests that were done in Australia in the 50s and it is it's horrifying but it's also a, a fascinating read and weirdly like the Oppenheimer book thrilling and they tell these stories about these poor australian uh you know pilots who were forced to go up in planes like planes in the 50s mm. and fly into nuclear blasts and take readings of it and you know before they knew what radiation could do and uh it's like i i know it sounds really weird to say this these awful stories are thrilling but it is like it's it's quite cinematic as well and it's a part of our history that we don't know a lot about and we don't talk about a lot so uh that's my they're my three hot recommendations and if anyone wants a music re recommendation i discovered mike Patton's uh corpse flower which i had never heard before and it's kind of like 1950s french pop songs through the prism of mike Patton. i gotta i gotta move a recommendation for you great man from planet earth i i have you seen that movie no, I haven't. What's that one? You should. Um, is it Man from Earth or Man from Planet Earth? Is it? It's Man from. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up quickly. Uh, what it is? Oh, and look it up then. Um, so it's about a movie that imagine. Do you know what Cro Magnons are? Cro Magnons, yeah. right? Imagine through, during through the uh, time of evolution. Yeah, Man from Earth. Man from Earth, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. Man from Earth. Actually. During the time of evolution, while we were growing and we were evolving, one of the human beings or Cro-Magnons um, didn't age. Right. Imagine that. Yeah. And he's still alive to this present day, basically. Yeah, right. Because of some genetic, uh, genetic mutation or whatever it is in his DNA, he can't age. Right. What would the life of that person look like? The, basically, the movie is based on that. That's a fantastic uh, premise. I'm I'm guessing like Jesus, like you know, I was talking to a friend last night who was talking about the period where we went from floppy disks to USB and how hard it was to get their head around that. Right now we have SSDs and we have those. Uh, we have cloud storage, <laughs> right? What is cloud storage? Do you know what cloud storage is? Right, I don't know half of most things that are going on. 
I just nod a lot. Like, oh, yeah, okay. That's yeah. where it is. <laughs> but it's it's but, funny. Cloud storage is very funny to me. Imagine yeah. if if, um, if Christopher Nolan's script or these all these writers' script were stored in cloud storages and AI could get into it and like write me the best movie ever and that AI could access all that information and write me a script. Well, you, you know, that's what Amazon does. They have an AI that uh, you write a script and it compares it to other, you know, successful scripts. Oh, like a fact checker thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it makes suggestions on, oh, yeah, this worked for here and this worked for here and this worked for here. And if you think about that, check, keep that in mind and then watch the Amazon show Outer Range, which is quite clearly influenced oh. by AI because it makes no fucking sense. It's like, oh, do you like Yellowstone? Here's some cowboys. Do you like a mystery <laughs> like Lost? Here's a pit in their backyard that leads to time travel. Oh, do you like singing? This cowboy sings. Do you like the OA? This woman feels like she's out of the OA. Like, <laughs> why are you watching it? And Richard and I just, it, like, it's bonkers. I'm not sure it's good, but we can't stop watching it. Have you played around with AI at all? No. No, I haven't. I've been, you know... I've been looking at it. I've gone to the page a few times and uh, what I need to do is I need to find some space to like delve into it properly, like play with it properly. Because you know, I think it's easy to just go in and have a look and go, oh, yeah, I know that, but it's, yeah, I want to kind of work out how to kind of get results. And uh, it's, it's not because I'm into it, but I think it's a better way to be less scared about something. Make it your thinking buddy. Think of it like your thinking buddy. Yeah. It would give you very generic and very struck like a uh, boxed answers. Like you can tell right. it's computerized. Um, but if if uh, if you want to like, okay, make me a nutrition plan for losing yeah. two or three kgs, we'll like, oh yeah, for sure. So stuff like that, it's very good. And it's it's very um efficient and quick in terms of Google because if you type yeah same thing write me a schedule for meal or make me a meal plan google will give you articles but ai would just make one for you so yeah so i'll I'll type in uh make me a a, a diet that will help me lose weight but is just sandwiches exactly what you said yeah great <laughs> suddenly i'm pretty fine with ai <laughs> <laughs> This this has been such yeah. a great great chat, and I've, it means a lot to me because I'm such an admirer of you. And I mean, again, the way you talk about your mom, the way you sort of talk about your friendships, and the way you sort of make no apologies about what you like, and you just put so much of yourself out there. And yeah, I just I'm a big fan. And yeah, th thank you for for coming on our podcast today. And I wish oh, you were based in Melbourne. Oh, thank you. He's taking you away from us. Yeah. yeah I, I've got to be honest, I've become a real wimp when it become, when it comes to the weather too. You know what I mean? Like I go, like I was very climatized in uh, Melbourne, going from Adelaide to Melbourne. And then I get up to Sydney and, you know, I, like I don't mean to brag, but I'm wearing a t-shirt. Don't Just, get me wrong. Global warming's destroying everything. But uh, <laughs> but at this very moment, it's quite nice. So, uh, but I'll hopefully be back down in uh, Melbourne on a more, regular basis uh you know now that things are kind of back to normal and we'll get into a rhythm of coming down and doing some shows we might bring uh, another live podcast that you know 
That's always a fun way favorite, to hang out. Too. What is your favorite venue to perform? Could be, could it uh, like, does a venue matter to you? Like, uh, like the stage and the size of the venue, does that affect of your performance at all? Uh, like, like if it's, you prefer a good venue, you know, like, uh, but I don't mind, like, I, I quite like the intimacy of small rooms and then but also it because it, it changes the way you perform you know and then when you're in a bigger room it it becomes your performance gets to become larger and uh you know it's funny you can do the same material but you can you can change the way you perform it so i i, I quite like both do you enjoy or do you think you um are much more funnier backstage with the comedians when you're hanging out or you think you're funnier on stage uh, i think it's I, i think it's actually quite different you know like i think on stage it's a you know because everyone's funny to somebody do you know what i mean like everyone's funny well, that's that's very good yeah you know and it's uh how many times have you met someone and they say oh wait till you meet my husband you love him he's really funny and you meet the husband you go what the fuck like, <laughs> yeah. what, what is happening here and then but but you know what he's funny to his wife Yeah, his wife yeah. finds him really funny so mm -hmm. what a comedian does is they give strangers opportunities to uh jump on board mm. the stuff that you find funny so you, you you broaden it out you know like you know as an example last night i was doing a gig a lot of young people in the audience and i was talking about having a 50th birthday party now technically who gives a shit but the basis for talking about it was talking about people who turn up to your party that aren't invited now that is something that someone who's 20 can relate to and someone who's 70 can relate to so the, the, so oh, the yeah. 50th is the personal experience like that's what's happening to me but here's your opportunity to be able to relate to it or even if it hasn't happened to you you've seen it happen to someone else and you you get the gist of it so that's a different kind of funny than with my mates where you know like we have in jokes like we can say all sorts of things and you know Yeah. set someone off you know like and and like ben elwood and i talk about this all the time you know it's funny to have a dark sense of humor to get shit out of your system and recalibrate and uh you know i don't do that on stage but i'll do that with my friends you know like you know you can go a little bit dark but you can you can say some heinous shit to your friends and it makes them laugh and it makes you laugh and then it's out of your system and you never think of that again <laughs> so you know uh so it's a it's it's a very or once again it's just in jokes you know you can just there's some like adam richard earlier i i mentioned uh someone that we both know and as soon as i finished it, he did the classic adam richard giggle and then went oh dear shall we save it till we see each other i said yes yes we should <laughs> so it's a very different kind of uh funny isn't it Yeah. What 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 do you see for your future? Like what look looking ahead, what 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 are you gonna be doing? Uh so uh, yeah, so look, uh <clears throat> who knows what happens in your career, you know, it's it, it's not linear. It's it's it goes around and around and around and uh but the aim is to more uh, to move more into narrative. Like I've uh you know, I've been very lucky with the chase and question everything. I work with really good people and it's really Uh, it's fun and uh you know it's really fulfilling but uh i'd like to get more into narrative uh like i'm about um you know who knows if this will happen but i'm about six drafts into a movie uh 
set in uh, at uh, the Adelaide Fringe in 1996, and I really like it. I'm really happy with it, and I, I'm still still working on it. And I, once again, I love the process. So, you know, in your in your in your perfect scenario, you'll be watching that in a couple of years. That mm. would be nice, and uh, you know, eventually, like to, you know, finally get around to writing that book like I've written stuff and then uh you know you get distracted and then by the time you come back to it you, you're like I'm I've got like 10 drafts of a novel yeah. that things got upended and then I didn't get back to it for ages and now I look at it and I've I've moved on emotionally yeah, you, you know you realize your passion's probably shifted to what shifted. it was when you first started it yeah 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 so you know uh like on uh, on the big squid feed there's you know there's some short stories that I've put up uh with the wonderful Sean Allen producing and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've got a new taste for stand-up, so I'd like to, you know, in a perfect world, still be doing stand-up and churning out movies and things like that. Also, when you go back to the thing that you left there and you see that what you created, you that that old sense of personality sort of reconnects and like, okay, yeah. we have new ideas. Mm. Yeah. So good too. It's like... um being in a long-term relationship with someone and then you break up and you have to have a bit of time apart uh, because, you know, it's just the right thing to do. And then when you get, you catch up again, you, you, you see each other in a different light and, uh, you know, you, you remember all the things that you really loved about that person and you have a really good time Great. and you go, Oh yeah, oh, I can still be friends with this person. This is fantastic. So that's what I am with stand up. We're still friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Justin, thank you so much again for doing this. The whole podcast, I was, I was, I was trying to find something philosophical. I just couldn't, and uh, I just kept looking at the background to pick something up. This guy's I, such a deep thinker. I'm a deep thinker. Yeah. I saw, I yeah. saw everything behind you: the books, the Batman, the teddy bears, and everything. It's like, man, I can't find anything. To... <laughs> That's funny. All, all of that stuff, all of that stuff is uh, really lovely presents from fans. Oh wow! Stuff. Oh. Yeah. So, how much of a reader are those books? What kind of books are are those? Well, which are like there's there's all sorts of things. There's graphic novels. There's uh, records. There, mm. there's um, uh, you know, I was a I was a big Alan Moore and Grant. Like I I started reading comics as a kid at the time that Alan Moore and Frank Miller and Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman were coming through. So I was really, really lucky that I was there where you know low art suddenly had high art being brought to it and it was a beautiful alchemy so it's a lot of that kind of stuff a lot of uh, dvds and blu-rays like i'm for a while there i started getting rid of stuff and then you realize that all these goddamn streamers take all the movies yeah. off that you love and it's like fuck i better get back into i, I did a, i did a big purge of all my dvds and blu-rays uh years ago yeah then you sort of make a realization well, hold on. Now the movie that I want to go back and watch is on no streaming services, or yeah. you have to pay a ridiculous rental fee to to go and watch yeah. that movie. Yeah, we got screwed. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And now they're not even releasing some movies on Blu-ray or you know no, or straight you streaming. Know, yeah, you know, I've I've got a I've got a four K player. I want to get Tar on four K. You know, because it's such a beautifully shot film and you know you you want to you want to watch it in all its glory you can only get it on dvd which is 100 percent not a problem but it is but it, it's just interesting you know 
Like I'm not fucking waiting for Oppenheimer to turn up on on VHS. You know, I I want it in that pristine yeah. 4K that I can uh, sit at home and panic about how this was the beginning of the end of the world. <laughs> you have to watch that movie in the in the cinema. It's it's, it's yeah it deserves to be watched. When is it out? October twenty first uh, of July. July. Oh, yeah, not far away, my friend. That's it. I thought it was a bit later in the year. Oh, yeah. Mate, we've got a we've got a cracking few weeks of movies coming out where you get you get the new Mission Impossible film and crazy Tom Cruise powered by Xenu doing crazy <laughs> stunts. You then get you get Oppenheimer and Barbie on the same t- uh, day, and I fucking yeah. love Greta Gerwig, and I'm all I'm, I'm totally up for what Barbie's going to be. You got the Wes Anderson movie coming out, like it's there's so much good stuff uh, uh, about to hit our cinemas. If Barbie gets more ticket sales than Oppenheimer, then I think there's something seriously wrong with this world. <laughs> I reckon. Well, you know, I like. I feel like there's a little bit of a backlash to uh, uh, Nolan, and I think I think Oppenheimer is going to be a hard sell, and I think Barbie, at the very least, is going to have people going, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, yeah. let's go and see this. You know, <laughs> I think it's kind of got broader appeal. But look. Uh, I hate the way that we talk about box office with movies. Like there's mm-hmm. heaps of good movies that didn't make a lot of money that are fucking heaps better than, yes. you know, like just remember the Transformers yeah. films have made billions of dollars, you know, it doesn't mean that they're good. So all I really hope is that, uh, all I hope is that enough people see Oppenheimer that it makes enough money that people keep giving Christopher Nolan money to make interesting films. That's all, that's all I care about with the, with the big directors, you know, it, it bothers me that the last couple of Paul Thomas Anderson films haven't been big money earners. And there's a part of me that's like, ah, oh, keep giving him money. He's great. I still want to see his films, you know? So uh, that's, that's all I hope for, but I can't wait. It's going to be, uh, they had to invent a, an IMAX camera to film in uh, black and white. And I am uh, pretty pumped for that. And I love Killian Murphy. And I have to tell you, the character that Robert Downey Jr. is playing, the real man, was a fucking arsehole. And I can't wait. I can't wait to watch Robert Downey Jr. playing an arsehole, bringing his natural Downey Jr. charisma to, to a, a cockhead. It's going to be great. It's going to yeah. be great, mate. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> Thank you so much again. I mean, I hope I hope you enjoyed yourself. And... Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Thank you again. <laughs>